I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to Mariella Meets. I'm Mariella Frostrup, and each week I'll be bringing you a selection of the best interviews from our favorite guests. Movers and shakers from the worlds of art and entertainment, politics, business, music, and wider society. The photo of a teenage girl lying nearly naked on a bed of red roses was an iconic shot in the cult classic Oscar-winning film American Beauty. It was a cultural watershed, a witty takedown of the American dream, a male midlife crisis, and as one critic has put it, a suburban burlesque. Mina Suvari was only 19 when she was cast as the angelic-looking cheerleader in American Beauty and also American Pie. For the next two decades, she appeared to be America's sweetheart with a glamorous life to envy. But her recently released memoir, A Great Peace, shows us there's always more to a person and their story. It's a beautifully honest insight into Mina's life, career and the personal challenges that she's managed to overcome. When I spoke to her earlier, I began by asking her how she discovered her teenage diary, which led to her memoir when she was clearing out her garage. So what this moment looked like was um, I was in the relationship with my, my husband now, Mike, and um, I wanted to change up, uh, I guess, my home decor. And so that led me into um, saying, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to face this storage unit. I'm going to, I'm going to either donate, sell, or throw away. And I started at it. I started attacking it and I found this bin again, which I still have. It's like, you know, a good old container store, clear class plastic bin. And I have like VHS tapes in there, which I don't know how I'll even watch those ever again. Um, and I have a lot of that like, feeling. <laughs> a, lo- a lot of just like stuff from my career. And I would just kind of like, as I'd work, like, you know, I have like a bin of scripts, like a bin of magazines, like a bin of this. And I, and because it was clear, I was like, oh, I know what that is. And I saw my diary in there, this little book that I bought in Chinatown in San Francisco in the mid nineties. And then I had this red plastic binder from, from the same time that I hadn't 
I hadn't seen. I, when I saw the, the, the journal, I thought, oh, okay, yeah, I remember that. Like, that's something that I don't really want to like visit right now. But then when I saw the binder, I got a bit excited because I remembered then that I had typed this up on a, on a, like an old school typewriter and had called it the great piece back then. It was about like 50, 60 loose leaf pages. And it was like my stories and poems and things like this that um, I just created at the time and a way to express myself. And so, you know, I took this bin like back into my office and um, I just decided I was gonna look at these things and I felt a initial desire to do something with it. And initially I wanted to just publish the binder. I felt like, wouldn't it be really cool and a great way to honor myself if I just like published this that I made back then so long ago. And then that process led me to, I sat down with a friend um, and I brought along my diary as well and had him kind of like look at both. And then he came back with, look, I feel like you should share this overall as a memoir, as telling your story. And it felt kind of weird as like 40 I mean, I'm 43 now to be like, oh, okay, wait, I should consider writing my memoir now. Like that just, it felt, it felt safer to share the great piece as the binder, the way that it was. I guess I felt like I could honor myself in some way and, and like open up those channels, but not fully go there. But then when they came back to me and said, you know, maybe you should think about sharing it as a whole. I kind of took that idea and I thought about it for a minute. I was scared. I felt like I didn't know how to do that. I couldn't do that. I felt like the, you know, the S was going to hit the fan if I did that. Um, and I mean, and I'm, not surprised. Just... <laughs> I'm not surprised that you didn't want to go back there because one of the things you found when you looked through that old diary was stuck on, on the back page, a, a suicide note. Had you completely forgotten that, that you'd written that? And how much was that connected with this horrendous passage you write about in a great piece uh, uh, which you deal with with unflinching detail much to your credit about being raped at the age of 12 years old by an older boy how much were those those things connected and how much did that sort of all flash back uh, as you opened thank you I extremely appreciate you asking that question and asking it in the beginning of this interview because Yes, I feel like all of that, it, you know, my story really stemmed from there, you know, losing my virginity at 12 in a way that I never wanted to someone that I wasn't ready to be with at a time like it's still hard for me to to consider that I was raped, like to go through all of these emotions and and I feel like that was the beginning of all of this. It's the beginning of all of these converse conversations because I feel like I'd already kind of been living in this space of needing a bit more emotional um, investment and, and nurturance. But that felt like the moment where it was just so solidly communicated to me what my worth was in a way. And so, yeah, it, it created like what that, value was that I would have for the rest of my life and how it would continue to to show up there's I don't know I think um like my personality was just kind of uh like chipped chipped away and so it was like a buildup of all of those moments and that's why 
I'm so grateful to have like these continued conversations. Cause like when I shared my story and like put the book out, I feel like initially people tried to take like bits and pieces here and there. And I kept trying to show like the through line. I kept trying to show like, if we isolate this moment down the road, it's because it's connected to this so early on, you know, what I went through and like what manipulation looks like, what abuse can look like. Yeah, you know, I know I'm interested in the fact that you, you, you talk about, you know, adult children and, and, and dealing with emotionally immature parents, you know, this, this horrendous thing happened to you. And as I understand it from the book, you didn't really tell anyone at the time, yet your yeah. father was a, a psychiatrist and, and your mother was young enough, yeah. hopefully, to understand what the life of a young woman, because she was 30 years younger than your father, what the life of a young woman might be. Do, do you understand why you had that disconnect with them? Why, why you had the, the, the fear to discuss it? Or was it just not a possibility? Yes, I feel like on the surface, um, it can look very confusing like that. Um, when, you know, on paper, my father's a psychiatrist, you know, my mother was a nurse, you know, this, whatever this dynamic looks like. I think also like there's big conversation around like what it was like for that generation. I know mm -hmm. it's not that long ago, but like there's this, there is this feeling of like, I mean, yeah, in the 80s, just kind of, it was like kids were around, you weren't like really hurt, right? You were just kind of like seen, but not heard. So it's interesting as well, because, you know, I was thinking about this, reading your book. In the UK, there was a, a movement that emerged after Me Too, which was a hashtag in the beginning called Everyone's Invited. And it basically revealed through personal statements being uploaded anonymously, the, the extent yeah. of, of sexual assault and rape happening amongst young people in schools in particular. And I think as a nation, we were quite horrified by the extent of that. And it feels sometimes that this whole area of, of, of sexual assault and, and, and rape and so on is often dealt with in terms of adults, but taken perhaps less seriously in a way when it's young people. You know, there's, there's almost a, a, a temptation to dismiss it as fooling around or, you know, yeah. in your situation, you know, she was 12, he was 16, they were just kids. But actually the harm, as you illustrate in the book, is very, very deep rooted and perhaps even more lasting. You know, when you shared that story with me, that makes me think of many moments in my life where I personally felt, I, I emotionally felt like I wanted to add something to a conversation or be part of a moment. And I didn't feel invited. I didn't feel as if I was invited. And so that's what I mean about like the chipping away. By the time that I was like 12, it just felt like, oh, because I had said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. And so it just felt like it was the, the perfect, like the ending to that. Mm. And like and no how... one was going to listen. When I rolled over then and cried myself to comfort in some way, I think that I just instantly went into survival mode. I, I learned how to quickly adapt to whatever situation I needed to. There was another story that I tried to share that I think is so important and part of like, you know, the conversation too, is like, I, I moved around. And so by the time that I was in like, uh, well, first grade, I was ahead in certain subjects. And so they didn't know what to do with me. And there was a day where my mother came to school and she just found me in the library. They created Mina's Corner because I would finish my work. And so I was just sort of like put away with. So I was so, I was so 
used to like, okay, well, where do you want me to go now? How do I adapt to this situation? And so I think it was just all of that, of, of just being put in these little moments, um, being devalued, not enough you, invested there. You also had a, a quite an insecure childhood in a way. I mean, it, it started out, it sounds like a, a, like a fairy tale, you know, you're living in this yeah. amazing house in Rhode Island with a ballroom and, and running yeah. feral in the garden with your brothers. And, and it all sounds kind of incredible. You were well off uh, and so on. And, and it, it seems that that was just a downward trajectory financially that just carried on throughout your childhood and ended up with you in your, in your teens feeling the onus to support your parents. How did you move from the experience that we've been discussing to this precocious young teen in a flat in Los Angeles, basically supporting your parents and modeling and, and, and doing whatever it took to, to make a living? I think I was just really good. I mean, that's what I mean about sharing that uh, story about me in school. I, I just I always loved doing my work. I always loved um I don't know, like doing what was required of me. So I think I was just really good at that. And by then we had moved from Rhode Island to St. John and then in South Carolina. And so I was by South Carolina used to like, okay, I'm in a new environment, a new situation. How do I make this work? And, um, and all of that happened very quickly in Charleston. You know, I had this experience with this boy, you know, completely destroying my life. But at the same time, I started modeling. It was literally at the exact same time. And then I got an opportunity with Wilhelmina. And so I was going to New York and I was like walking the streets of New York. But then my personal life was falling apart. So that was the first summer was I was 13 in New York. And then the next summer I was 14 and I was in LA. And so it was just very fast. And I, I can only assume that I was just so used to being in that mode. That sense that you had, you know, that instinct of, of, of just, okay, this is this situation. Uh, this is how I survived this situation. Uh, you know, in many ways, obviously prompted by this horrendous rape. Do you think that that in a way made you vulnerable later as well? Because, you know, the book charts some really distressing relationships uh, oh, yeah. where, again, you, it, it feels like you felt that that was what you had to deal with at the time, that that was your lot in some way. Yeah, I mean, I, well, cause I came out to LA and you know, everybody lived at the Oakwood apartments. Um, now they're named something different, but uh, yeah, famously in Burbank. And I remember just, you know, it was like what to do for the day. And I would try to, I remember climbing up like some of the mountains, I'd go hiking there and I walk around the complex and, there was another man who was probably in his like late twenties. I was probably 15. He ended up giving me a, introducing me to Depeche Mode, took me into his apartment, kissed me. Like that was just normal. My, my, my manager was taking advantage of me. Like, I think that's, I didn't have anyone talking to me about those things. So I think what I learned was, you know, what I heard around me was she looks 18. She looks this, she's got it. You know, everything I heard around me was just like, I could do no wrong. You were winning. You know, and, 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 and who didn't want to have a part of me and, you know, hang out with me. And so it was just like, it's not like conscious, but if, if I could make any assumption now and looking back, I think I didn't, I didn't understand it at the time. I was just um, so used to, I think being in survival mode and it wasn't unusual to me. It was like, oh, 
that's how I get attention. You want attention from me based off of like to how I look. And, and that was just what I thought that people wanted from me. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm, I'm wondering how you managed to cope with the extreme focus of, you know, fame at the same time as, as, as being completely unreconciled to any of these things that had happened to you along the way, the uh, abusive relationships, the, the, the rape when you were a child, you know, all of those things are still there underlying yeah. and yet there's this facade of this gorgeous teen queen you know that's being venerated across the across the globe it's been really fascinating to me i mean because of people that i've known especially at that time too and they've told me how they were jealous of me and i'm like wow it's so shocking to experience these things now i was just so oblivious totally oblivious i knew how to do my job and that's something that i loved but I didn't get any of the fame. I didn't understand any of that. I remember people talking to me about the success of like American Pie, American Beauty, and, you know, using numbers like a hundred million. And I honestly thought every movie made a hundred million dollars. Like I didn't care. I just thought like, <laughs> I was like, great, cool. You know, like I love having those conversations because I didn't, I didn't enjoy it enough at that time. You mentioned the amazing actors, um, particularly in American Beauty. And I know that you had a kind of incongruous um, uh, encounter with Kevin Spacey, who obviously subsequently has, has, has you know, had his major issues, where you were sort of taken into this little side room. You were probably safer than you had been with, with any of the men you found yourself uh, with before that. But, but, but it was a, a sort of odd scenario, wasn't it? I appreciate, again, like your first question, like because you can't isolate those moments. You know, I shared that moment because it's true. It's another moment that happened in my life. But what I- Describe it for so, me. Um, laying in, in a room, because uh, we were working in a house um, on the set of American Beauty. And it was in between scenes. And it felt like 
maybe a comfortable prep. It felt like, you know, I was laying next to Kevin. He was laying next to me and just um, comforting me, like consoling me, holding me. And I, I don't know where that came from. I don't know what his intentions were with that. I felt at peace. Because yes, I was going home to uh, a complete nightmare, someone who had conditioned me in ways that I, ha- I had never seen coming for myself. I'd never felt like I had gotten the opportunity to decide so many things that I would have liked to decide on my own, right? So yes, that was like, uh, you know, a drastic comparison, but it was so fascinating to me because when I was writing this and, you know, and and I'm sharing it all, it was like, why was that fine? Like, that's the thing that I want to talk about. Why was that okay for me? Like, why was that just like, oh, it's just another day at work. I'm just in a room with a guy I don't even know who's older than me. And he, and I'm letting him just do whatever he wants. And that's okay. Like that, that's the conversation that I want to have because that's not okay. And why did I feel as a woman or as a young woman or a young person that I needed to do that? You know? How, how much did, did finding that diary and that suicide note unlock all of this? You know, was it, was it something, because now you sound quite angry about it all and it's almost like like something's opened up and you can't shut shut it again it's pandora's box isn't it yeah. and and no i love and, that i i get very passionate i'm very very passionate about it i think because uh maybe i'm inviting myself to the table now because uh i think and and that that's also interesting to me um hearing that maybe there's a an anger to it i would like to refer to it more as passion because i feel like it's I'm desperately trying to have these conversations and wanting to be heard in in the proper sense right because mm-hmm. it's not about this has been a long journey for me I'm like sharing my story and initially people again wanted to just isolate American beauty or isolate a particular moment and that's why like this is such a gift it's so great to like come back around after that you know the the, the first initial launch and and have these additional conversations because that's something that I've felt like along the way I've hoped to have more of, you know, that's what I initially hoped to have more of so that we can just do better next time. I've always kind of said, like, if I can shave off a summer of suffering for someone, then I want to do that. Cause I, I think when you're a survivor, like we're all survivors, you don't want to ever feel like someone might have to go through that again, you know. And and what about what about the the various people? But let's focus maybe specifically on 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 that boy when you were twelve years old. But but also other men that you had relationships with who were pretty horrendous, really. I mean, you can go into detail if you want. But the the point being, did you ever feel? a desire to confront them. There's a catharsis to writing about it. There's a catharsis to exploring it for yourself. But for example, when you became hugely famous, that boy, he must have known what he'd done and he must have known what you'd become. Did you ever feel a desire to make him confront the damage that he caused I mean, I've thought of those things like on my own when I've had those moments of my own anger that I've wanted to express, but those are things that I, I still think about. I don't really know what that would do. 
interestingly enough, I had a woman who reached out to me who was in a relationship with one of my abusers after me and shared with me how he would compare her to me. And that just broke my heart because it just, you just see how it doesn't end and how it just, um, how it just keeps affecting other people. Mm. That was so heartbreaking to me, this, this poor woman, you know, I just, you hope that people like that will stop, but you know, um, I think the best thing you can do for yourself and others is to try to heal. Right. I can't fix him, but I can try to fix myself and help others. So. And you, you talked about, you know, the, the young girls that you work with now and you look at them and you think how great it is that they don't feel under the same pressures perhaps as you did or. I or, hope not. Yeah. But, but I'm sure there are young girls who, who still, I mean, that's what we found out with me too, really, isn't it? That's what we found out here in the UK with everyone's invited that there are still young girls struggling with those things. Do you think that, that Hollywood has, has changed particularly, um, you know, because that's your specific experience? Uh, I mean, Me Too, it looked like it created sort of seismic shifts in the industry, but I wonder if it really changed yeah. everything. Um, I mean, I feel like I've experienced more conversations. I don't know if I'm the one to give that answer, but for me personally, I feel like I've had those moments like on set or like after working on a project where my younger co-stars have um, reached out to me to ask me about advice for their career or maybe a particular project or, and I never experienced that. When I remember, I, I felt like maybe I needed to have the avenue to do that. So that feels really beautiful. I really love like how, I don't know, that's opened up differently for me, like more of a, collaborative effort and helping one another it must have been very shocking for your mum for example to, to to understand what you'd lived through without her being aware of it yeah yeah and we're and we're approaching those things now you know which which that's what i mean about having the opportunity now to be a gift and that's what i try to hopefully share and like part of this too has been really beautiful because people have reached out to me and they're like you know I have something that I wrote a long time ago and I've really wanted to share it or I have this and you know maybe maybe I should tell my story and like that is so awesome that is so beautiful so yeah I keep just trying to encourage the healing and this book's never been about like laying the judgment it's really been about healing and trying to encourage others to heal and and yeah I feel like I'm getting closer to that um a lot of these things come up when you become a parent you know so it's sort of like I'm still going through it but I'm getting there closer to that piece and do you feel that you've put enough distance now between the girl the damaged girl who wrote that suicide note and Oof. the grown-up woman that you are today what a great question. You're just giving me all these questions today. I mean, um, yes and no. I was actually just asking my girlfriend the other day, like just motherhood just kick in. Like, do we have, do these feelings just kick in? I mean, no, there are many times where I'm like, wait. And I, and I think, I think like that's part of what's such a great gift about being a parent is it's like breaking all those molds of like what I thought 
I needed to be. And, and I think I, I created such a rigid structure because I was trying to survive all this trauma. So it's really healthy for me now to, you know, kind of look at it as like, it doesn't have to come in this perfect form. I don't have to have all of this pressure on myself. I can kind of take it day by day. And, and if it needs to look like this and I'm having a moment for myself, that's okay. It's, it's all of that, like new work that I'm doing for myself as a, as a parent now, and as a, as a mother. And I, I think giving myself like allowance in a way that I never did. And just finally, for, for many people, you'll be forever sort of solidified uh, in their minds as, as this sort of squeaky clean American dream queen. Yeah. Uh, Sorry to break uh, the mold, American, guys. American <laughs> beauty. Yeah. So they may be feeling a little bit let down once they've read the book. <laughs> Uh, but 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 actually, I just wondered how it felt to be playing those parts at the same time as as that was so far from the reality of what you must have been feeling inside about yourself. You know, now I can really talk about it truthfully because at the time I I struggled like all the time when interviews. Like I felt like I had to give this great answer, and I was literally living in this nightmare of an apartment with this person who was just abusing me in these horrendous ways. But I was going and like working on American pie. Like it just, it was, it was so night and day. And I think what I try to communicate in the book is like how my work, like art really saved my life because it gave me that outlet. It gave me American pie gave me the opportunity to be like, Oh, this is like what people my age are doing and like get somewhat of a sense of like, I guess what I, what it would have, felt like more normal for me to be living in, but I was not living in that world. American beauty, I think, I mean, it's so many different things. I, at the time, it was like a no-brainer that I'd be working on it. When I read American Beauty, I identified with Angela. I knew that character. In writing my book, you can understand why. I mean, that was just, I knew how to play that role. So yeah, I mean, it's so many things. Like I was, I'm, I'm so grateful for these opportunities. Um, but American beauty is different in one sense because I guess I, you know, I was, you're, I was portraying everything that I was like suffering from, right? Mm. There's a huge massive irony in that. I mean, now that I can talk about it, American Pie just felt like that was like a vacation from my life. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Mariella Meets with me, Mariella Frostrup. There'll be more from the podcast next week, so make sure to download the free Times Radio app to never miss an episode. And don't forget, you can catch the live edition of my program every Monday to Thursday, 1 till 4 on Times Radio. Catch you next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.